go. Some things are uh, important. You got to be careful how you use certain words. When I was a kid, uh, I would hear words out in the street, and I didn't hear that word used in my home. My mom and dad didn't use that word in my home, so I would hear this word in the street, and I would bring that word home, and then I would say it to my mom, like, hey, mom, what does mean? And she would, what? Huh? I, I, start, I started learning, like, like it, it was a pretty good guess that if I could spell the word with four letters, I wasn't supposed to say it, come home, say it to my mama like that. If it, if it was a four-letter word, you just, you just stayed away from those. I started, I started learning that as a kid because that, that was something that would, would set my mom off. But then there's, there's this one four-letter word, a four-letter word that that kids say, and kids will say it, and we look at a child, and we're like, oh, it's so cute. It's, look at him. Look at him saying that word. But then when that child becomes an adult and says that same word, it's, it's almost detestable to God. It almost can make God cringe to think that a, a person would say that. This four-letter word is mine. Mine. The, the, the concept that something that God has created, made, is, is somehow ours. Today we're going to talk about stewardship and giving. We're going to talk about funds. We're going to talk about God's glory and God's passion. And we're going to talk about giving. And we're going to talk about why that term, mine, can actually set God off in a way that is counter to the way he has created and set things in order. My hope is after today, you'll have a greater understanding of what giving is. And usually when people start talking about giving, they try to balance it out for you. They say, oh, giving is your time, your talent, and your treasure. We're not talking about that today. There'll be a sermon that talks about personal ministry, and we'll be talking about your talent then. And there'll be a sermon that talks about spiritual gifts, and we'll talk about your talent and some of your treasure then, some of of that talent then and time then. Today, we're talking about your, your treasure and what it means to be a steward with what God has given. So if you would turn with me to Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29. Lord, we ask that you would have your way, that during this time we'd be able to understand your word and your word would speak to us, that as we go through this series of foundational truths, that we'd be able to live for you that much more. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. First Chronicles. Uh, this is a, 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 a book that details some different histories, and we get this amazing king, uh, David's life. We enter into the 29th chapter, and it starts at verse 1. And if you don't have it in your Bible, it's going to be right up here on the screen. And uh, so for those of you that are um, new, we are so happy to have you. 
Um, we usually have a sister named uh, Jenny that helps create everything you see on the screen. I almost never do that. I had to do that this time. So I'm pretty sure it's all correct. But if you see a typo, just act like it's the right thing, all right? Just act like it's the right thing. All right. So we had uh, Chronicles 29, starting in verse 1. King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the temple will not be for mortals, but for the Lord. David has uh, fought the good fight up until this point. He's been God's man trying to lead God's people, not a perfect man, but a man that wants to honor God. He knows his years are starting to come to an end and it's time to pass that baton on. And the baton is going to be passed on to his son, his son, Solomon. And Solomon, if you could imagine. That question is, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? What, 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 what am I here for? Give me clear vision of what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, three seconds, y'all. This is all right. I'm just going to use this one. Appreciate you. What am I supposed to be doing? Well, we get a clear understanding in Solomon. Solomon's goal is to be the king and to build a temple. Be a king, a king for God's glory, and to build a temple. But the term here in the Greek is actually more like build a palace. Because when you think of a temple in our modern day way of things, you think of a place where you come in to worship, a place where you're coming to experience God, a place where you are coming. No, no, no. When you think of a palace, you think of a place where someone of royalty lives. A place where a sovereign entity dwells, a place where someone of great importance is. And that's what Solomon is tasked to build. Young and inexperienced dude. But right off out the gate, he gets the goal of building a place where the living God is going to dwell. Solomon gets a, 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 a simple task, but a task that's going to be uh, it's going to take some work. A task is going to take some effort. And so we get kind of right out in verse one, this understanding that to build something for God means you put yourself aside. That that when you are building for God, (laughs) you're building something for someone other than yourself. You're building For the king of kings. And my question to you, my question to all of us, as we have opportunities to invest our lives and even our funds, are you building things that are for God? I'm going to kind of lay out maybe like four or five principles today that I think this text helps us understand about stewardship. And the first principle is simply build for God and not for yourself. Simple principle. Build for God and not for yourself. How does that apply, Pastor? Don't worry. We're going to flesh that out. This true king, Solomon, was going to be building. But 
at this point, his dad is the one running things, hasn't handed him the reins yet. And so let's see how his dad helps Solomon move towards being able to build. Continue with me in verse two. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron and the wood for the things of wood. Besides great quantities of onyx and stone for setting, uh, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble in abundance. Uh, moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by artisans, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating themselves today to the Lord? This, this David, he now goes to his treasury and begins to give in abundance. He doesn't give based on the leftovers or some things that he pillaged from a little town. He's actually given the finest of things. There's some stuff that like just it cuts through time. It cuts through cultures. It cuts through differences. There's something that just cuts through all of that. And then one, one of those things that cuts through time and culture is attraction. You have a man and a woman might be from different cultures, and before you know it, they're linking up together. We've seen this in uh, civil rights times all the way back to biblical times where God says, hey, there's certain cultures that I'm wanting you to interact with and not interact with, and people was getting together. There's something about attraction that cuts through all time. I say the same about greed. This, this book was written... In 300 B.C., gold was still gold then. Sisters still liked diamonds. Precious stones were still precious. Onyx was still off the chain. Brothers was in Egypt rocking the gold medallions. Telling you, gold was still valuable. So as, as we're seeing what David is offering we're getting a glimpse into the same temptation that you and I would have. Which is, would you really give your best? Like, like, like the, the best treasure in your house, the thing that is most valuable, you'd be willing to, to give that up for a home that you're never going to live in? That you would be willing to do that and not just do it once. Once you give out your little kitty that you got over here, you then go to the second stash. You see, David is modeling right from the beginning that he sees something that's more valuable than earthly treasure. He sees this God who's worth his all and he's willing to give of his finest. He's willing to give of the best within his court. Doesn't seem like that word mine applies much to David so far. Given the finest that he has. 
I'd be uh, curious. It's, it's tough writing sermons like this that, like, encourage us unto something because as I'm preparing it, I'm looking in the mirror, and I don't even see none of y'all. And there's that second principle that I have, which is do you give your best or do you give your leftovers? We're not talking about just your kindness. We're not talking about simply just your helping someone on the side of the road. We're talking about of our finances. Do we think, I can't wait to get my check so that I can bless the Lord? I don't. Sister, go ahead. Oh, and she's not doing anything crazy. We are, we are a church where you can ask a question as long as you think that it will bless the congregation. But if it's something that's like something you're um, like a little caught up on, I'd love to talk with you after service. Go ahead, sis. Great question. <laughs> yeah, that's actually in Luke chapter one. Actually, says you're not gonna find the answer to that in the Bible. I'm sorry. I can't help you. I can't help you. You know, but I I think the the question. I don't think that. Qu- that question can be asked one of two ways. It can be, man, I honestly want to worship the Lord and give him what is due him. Or that question could be asked, man, look, I'm trying to give the least I can. Can it be the second where we give after, th-? you know, like the way you approach that matters. And I, and, I, and I think what I'm trying to get at first is like, well, we're going to get to that later. But what I'm, what I'm hinting at is a, a, a posture of your best probably is going to be different from you, sister, than what it is from me. And, and that's okay. And I, I actually don't have the answer to, to that question for you. I, that's been debated in every Dave Ramsey, uh, Autumn financial folk shows. They keep debating that. And that's all I got. <laughs> But do you give your best or do you give your leftovers? David uh, led by giving abundantly, but let's also now see how the people responded after David led. Continue with me in verse 6. Then the leaders of ancestral houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because these had been giving willingly. For with single mind, they had offered freely to the Lord. King David, excuse me, also rejoiced greatly. They do something that's called a, a free will offering. It's, it's, it's the additional gift that you give after you've already given the basis. It's, it's the assumption 
that the tithe is already something that's expected of you. But now, having met the basics, you are saying, and what more can I do? And what's next? God, how next am I going to celebrate you through, through my giving? Leviticus 27.30 kind of establishes the tithe. And there's a few other things, a few other scriptures. But that just simply says, every tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. We just came from a, a, a few months ago when we had a meal. It's called Thanksgiving. And some of y'all are weird, and at Thanksgiving you make meatloaf. I don't get it. But most people have Thanksgiving turkey. It's pretty consistent. You can pretty much plan on it. Everybody's going to have a turkey. But when it comes to dessert, now you got variety. Now you got options. I'm a weird dude. I love sweet potato pie, but I might go for some key lime. I know, right? You, you see, the, 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 the turkey is almost like the basis, the expectation. Tithe is like the expectation that everybody in the house of the Lord was going to give And then people had a chance to now come with their own flavor of what an offering, free will offering would look like. And the crazy part is not necessarily the beauty of the variance, but actually the unity that each person giving created. You see, when everybody gives together, there's a collective celebration that takes place in that we just accomplished something grand. I remember Thanksgiving about six years ago, I was with a sister in our church body, and we were delivering some Thanksgiving turkeys. And I think I've told this story a few times, but it's going to be number four. And this sister was about 80 years old. She stayed on Ann's block. And we were talking. She had shared about some pain that she had gone through with losing some children. And then her face lit up because she talked about how herself and the church members of Mount Zion Church right over at Mack and Van Dyke together raised $3 million because at that time, I'm pretty sure at that time, she said no bank would fund them. And their giving together built a house of worship that she sees as one of the major accomplishments in her life. You see, giving isn't just about you. It's not just about me. It is the collective thing that we do together where we get to worship and accomplish some things that maybe none of us thought we could do in and of our own strength. But together, together, we start making waves happen in this community. We start seeing transformation happen in this community. And so my, my, my kind of third principle is, remember, stewardship is a collective experience. It's not just about you. Being a steward and being faithful to giving is about you doing life with your family and together us presenting unto God. Amen? Amen. But we got, we, got, we got some interesting things because sometimes when we talk like that, we can begin to make rules. And I want to just say right out the gate, and I'm about to give some examples, but right out the gate, stewardship for some in here might be 5,000. Stewardship for others might be 500. And stewardship for somebody else might be five. Your giving and your stewardship is not based on what I expect of you, what I expect of you, what I expect of you. 
stewardship first and foremost is unto God. And so he's looking, saying, uh-huh, you're trying, to, <laughs> you're trying to wait until after taxes to take that out. Or you're trying to wait until before. He's looking to see what does our heart looks like as we approach him. But, but, but in the New Testament, we get some, some insight into this concept. Because I'm, I'm breaking this down for you guys so that you understand the foundation of giving. Found in the Old Testament. Some good principles to be able to learn. Don't you ever divorce the Old Testament and just be done with it. Old Testament helps us understand the beauty of the new as Jesus fulfills it. But here's a couple of texts in the new where we get some more understanding of giving. Look with me at Matthew 23, verse 20, verse 23. Jordan on Jordan. Look at that. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So this this verse brings forth some great tension. Because some people will say, hey, it says right there that they were doing, um, they were doing tithe. And Jesus says, you ought to have done that. So tithe should continue forward as a rule and a law. In the New Testament, we are bound by it because Jesus just said it. He just said, keep the rule, but don't neglect the others. And that's, that's, that is a... Uh, a desire for us to control one another and to use some of the legalistic tools. Um, that's not actually what this verse is communicating. What Jesus is trying to communicate and what, what we see throughout the rest of the New Testament is, is his desire for us to constantly have to assess our hearts. No other aspect of the Levitical law, the system, all those other laws. If we got to keep the law of tithing, we got to keep the law of sacrifices. I don't see no goats up in here. We got to keep the law of festivals. Y'all thought y'all was leaving. Nope, we got a festival after this, going till midnight. We got a bunch of laws to keep, and we can't just be selective and only keep the one that's going to help keep the church lights on. It'd be real easy for me as a pastor to come down with that and say, you got to tithe this amount, but, but, but it's actually messier than that. Freer, but messier than that. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And it'll be up here. But this is the, the freedom slash struggle that each of us then get to walk in. You knew what David was about. You knew the posture that he brought. Even though he was under the, the law, he was coming at it with the right celebration. But then you look in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. 
Back to those basics again. Back to the place where God's like, what you give is not, does not matter to me as much as how you give it. You think that you can please me with this, with this tithe? And Jesus says, you crazy. You're going to try to tithe to me and not operate out of love and mercy? So you can't, you can't be merciful when your heart is wicked. I've tried it. I've tried it. I've tried to extend grace to one of my children when I'm mad at them, and I know that I'm at that like this love. You know, like I, let me go up the steps. Like my anger is all the way up here, and then they fall, and I'm like, you deserve that. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough to extend mercy when your heart's not in the right place. It's tough to give unto God when your heart's not in the right place. And so he's, he's calling us to, to, to have our hearts examined. But giving is probably one of those areas where we are as Christians most confused. And if, it's your, if you're new here, trust me, I do not teach about uh, money all the time. <laughs> uh, some places do that. I don't do that. But you walked in this week, so praise the Lord. There's a that we are kind of confused on this. And there's one more scripture that that just makes sure that we don't feel uh, guilted into giving. Mark 12, 43, uh, where where there's a, a, a woman that's a poor widow and she comes before Jesus and and gives the two cent that she has left. And uh, Jesus says these words in verse 43, he just simply says, calling his disciples to him. He said, hey, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than everybody else. Than the rich, than the powerful, than the wealthy. Because of her approach, because of her heart, because of her sacrifice. But I love it because we get to see the beauty of a heart that's pure with that sacrifice on both ends of the spectrum. You got this sister that's given two cents. The last that it seems like she has, and then you got David, a rich man, giving the wealth that he could hoard and keep all to glorify God. Don't you villainize rich people. And don't you celebrate poor people. You celebrate rich people with the right heart, and you celebrate poor people with the right heart. And you can you can uh, speak against poor people with the wrong heart, and you speak up against Rich people with the wrong heart. Let us be discerning and see how God gives us these beautiful examples. But we are a little bit like giving is one of the most interesting things. Uh, Barna is this group that does some studies. And one of the studies they've done is on like the pastor's perception of money and the congregation's perception of money. Um, oh, man. So I printed this out, right? And uh, my printout is supposed to have all these different colors, but my ink must have acted up. So I got two colors out of eight. So we, I'm going to look at the screen in a minute. Um, but for, for, for pastors, they say generosity uh, always flows from this certain place. Pastors think it flows from a response to Christ's love. Uh, people think a little bit less. Uh, attitude. 
pastors think, yeah, like when you have a good attitude, you give a lot more. People are like, uh, I do, but attitude isn't what primarily will influence me. Pastors think that people give based on discipline, that you just regularly set it up, that you're going to give like uh, not so much for most people. Uh, Pastors think that people give sacrificially. But but when people were polled, they're they're actually not in positions where their giving puts them in hardship as often. Where where it's sacrificial, meaning that you're... You're going to feel it. Um, Pastors think that uh, giving is, y'all can read what I'm saying. 30%, 40% driven by compassion, uh, planned, driven by duty. And the last one is spur of the moment, which actually is going to be reflected in the the next one. Um, Because... Um, where is it? I didn't put a chart up, but they, it says that people that are of an older age, uh, your more seniored members tend to believe that giving is based on discipline. Like you set it up and you just give faithfully. But younger people, the millennial age, tends to believe that giving is based on impulse. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really feeling connected today or I'm really feeling moved by something today. And so I'm led to give a certain amount on that day. It's, uh, it's interesting because uh, sometimes we can like villainize one another and be like, oh, man, you just set up automatic payments. Are you really giving? And then for others, we can say, oh, man, you give like once every two months. What's up with you? But I, but I, I think that I think that there's like a, a almost that kind of tithe and free will approach of like, man, it's it's great when you do discipline yourself in giving. There's something where you say, oh man, like I know giving this time is going to hurt, but yet in trusting God, I'm still going to do it. But then there's also those times when, like, you just behave in ways that just ain't like you. Uh, you never give money to somebody on the street. Or you, you never come into the church, like, excited to help donate to the youth group. And you just feel the Lord saying, I, I heard one of those kids give a testimony. And today I need to, I need to support that aspect of this ministry. Like, like, and, and that's good. That's okay. I actually hope that we'll actually kind of kind of have a little bit of both in our lives. Sadly, though, um, one of the uh, an, another group called uh, that does like a lot of processing of payments for churches. They do a lot of studies. Um, they're called Push Pay. Um, one of the things, a couple stats that they have is that on average, Christians give 2.5 percent of their income to churches. But during the Great Depression, people gave 3.3%. That actually, of families that make $75,000 or more, only 1% is donated. Only, only 1% said that they donated 10% of their income. 
it it seems to like indicate. And I'm gonna get you, sis. It seems to indicate that uh, that that we sometimes have that wishful thinking. When I make more, I'm gonna give more. Once I get to this certain place, then I will. And this this and Christians give the most of any. Uh, people of faith. So this is not a knock on what we do. We, we do some amazing things. Christians give generously. But, when, but if you were to base it on what Christians make, we're nowhere near. Nowhere near actually what happened when we were under the law. He says, now I want to give you the freedom to give based on your joy. Based on you experiencing me, based on your love, I want to just say, give when you're ready to give. Give what you want to give. And it, and it seems like that, like the giving has gone down. Family, let's, let's make sure that we are uh, giving based on discipline, giving based on impulse, just giving because we want to be faithful to God. Continue with me in verse 10. Oh, I'm sorry, Sister Betty, you had a question. And then Elise. So, um, as a young Christian, 40 years ago, I remember So uh, this is what I'll say. This is what I'm going to say. That the tithe in the Old Testament provided for the Levites, those who were conducting all of the leadership within the temple. It provided for your sacrifices so that when it was time to atone for your sin, we had something that we could kill and the blood could be shed. And it also provided for the poor. Those three things is what the tithe provided. And the church still continues to do that today and says, can you give to make it happen? So now, do I, do I think that? Sure, I think that. Look where I'm standing. Yeah, give to your church first. Can I, can I find beyond making sure that you congregate with other Christians that like that's that's the only like spiritual mandate which is like you should not be alone you need to be with other people now how much you give I can't mandate it as much as I would like that you give to the church first I think it's wise I don't think it's biblical I don't think when I say biblical I don't mean that I can say that the Bible says it and so, because of that, I, sorry, Sister Elise. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sorry. I'm like really excited because uh, uh, this is the most questions I ever had in the sermon. Let's get it. Come on. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. My sister said, hey, is, is it an act of obedience? Which one was an act of obedience, giving out of discipline or giving out of impulse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 I I would say that both groups in the study thought they were being obedient. They just thought the way in which they demonstrated their obedience, one was faithfulness through consistency. I'm giving $500 every month because I know at the end of the year, my, what is it? Y'all gonna have to help me with the math, what that is on tithing, whatever. Yep, show is six grand. So I get 60 grand, I make 60 grand. Now I'm to hit my six grand this year, five grand, 500 a month. And the other person said, I'm gonna give 2,000 this month. And then in three months, I'm going to give another 2000 And at the end of the year, I'll give my last two. And it happened when pastor was preaching, and I just knew, oh, man, I haven't written my check. I need to write my check today to celebrate Jesus because he is on point. You know, like that there was, that, that there was the, the main difference of the process is one group doesn't need you to trigger anything. They're giving obediently out of consistency. The other group still wants to be obedient, but they need a little something to trigger them, trigger their excitement. And I, I wonder if how many millennials in the room would, not based on this, but just based on like giving period would, would, would resonate with that a little bit more. Yeah. You know, sister, to be honest, I don't know. I need to look back in the context because I don't remember. I, I couldn't I don't want to spit something off of my guess. I want to be faithful and I'll come back and uh, I'd love to love to answer that. Amen. Amen. But I love it that you in that word. Um, and so, family, we are at verse 10 and we I'm going to get you out of here. Don't worry. Then David blessed the Lord in, in, in the presence of all assembly. David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. 
Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to make this freewill offering for all things come from you and you and of your own have we given you? Don't you let verse 14 escape you when Satan tries to creep in and bring that four letter word that that is yours, that is mine. Don't you let Satan lead you to say something that would be crazy because God is the creator and controller and extender to you of all. And so even as we approach giving, even as we approach stewardship, we got to approach it from the standpoint of seeing God as the one who gave us everything. You wouldn't have anything if it were not for him. I remember when, when one of my closest homies and I, I knew we just didn't think the same no more. Went to high school with him, uh, snuck, snuck out the house with him. Uh, we, we got the black book of secrets that I pray he never comes and shares with y'all someday. No, no, brother, burn that block. Um, and so we were sitting, talking, having this deep convo. And he was just like, yeah, man, like, I deserve this. Look how hard I worked. Look at how much effort I put in. I deserve all of this. And that's when I realized, like, whoa. We are seeing life through two totally different lenses. Because there was other people who had resumes in, and they might have been more qualified than you. As you was trying to get that interview, calling to see what's up, five other people was calling at the same time, and you just happened to get through. You see, God has opened up some doors for you and provided for you and given you finances, some finances, a few finances, all your finances. And if we pause and realize that we don't have anything that is ours, we are stewards. A steward is simply a person that manages someone else's stuff. That's why we're called to be good stewards. It puts us in the right mind frame that all I get to do is be, have a little bit of say of where it's going to be directed, but it keeps coming from you. And all I get to do is channel where it's going. And so now we, when, when we have that mindset, when we have the right approach, it affects our hearts because now our heart can't say, well, well Lord, do you really need this? Do you really need? Well, no, like our heart says, God, I with joy come before you because I wouldn't have any of it if it wasn't for you. But now I get to give a portion of this back to you. It'd be interesting if 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 God gave you a thousand dollars and said, all right, now, baby, here's a thousand. Out the blue, you wasn't expecting it came from nowhere. And he said, hey. Just give me back some to let me know you're grateful. What would you give? See, I I pray that we wouldn't have to give you a rule for you to express your gratitude. 
I pray we wouldn't have to come up with a law for you to demonstrate how grateful you are for what God just gave you. I pray that we would be a people who say, no, $1,000? Some of y'all ain't that much. For me, $1,000? Hey, we about to kick it. I don't, I don't need a law to encourage me in how to show how grateful I am. But there's a lot of things that, that weigh us down and stop us and lead us to thinking that our money is our money. I'm going to try to leave with a couple, of, a couple of quick points. Oh, the fifth, the, the fifth uh, principle was uh, give from your heart. Take pleasure freely in offering. What was that? That was the last one. He had already put it up. Oh, that was number four? Uh, let me go back to four. Hold on, Slim Ghibli. Let me get you. Okay, give from the heart. Take pleasure in freely offering what God has given you. And let me go back to... Jake, you got uh, you can go back to four. Oh, there was two five. See, Jenny, you did it, Jenny. <laughs> um, acknowledge that all riches honor and come from God. Amen. All right, I ain't even gonna look at it. All right, we gonna keep it moving. <laughs> what happened? Oh, it is a number. Oh, Lord. I'm going to email it out to everybody. <laughs> Come on. Well, we already, yeah, we're going to keep it moving. Amen. So there, there's a, a couple of things I just want to say, and then we're going to get up out of here. First is um, I pray that as you hear the basis for the rules you will hear my desire and your elders' desire for you to live in freedom as you give. That you would walk in the joy of giving to a God who's provided everything to you. I also saw modeled by David that David first gave and then he encouraged the people. So I'm, I'm sharing this not to boast and not to get, you know, no bragging rights, nothing like that, but just to let you know that, like, Rebecca and I do give to this church. We do tithe and try to give above what a tithe is. Some years we are greater, higher above. Some years we just keep skeeting by on that, you know, but we are, we, we try. Um, we, do, we do the tithe and then free will offering ranges. And I don't, again, I'm saying that because what sometimes you can believe is that pastors shouldn't give. Because why would you give just to get it right back? But see, if that's the case, then I don't believe anything I've just preached to you. Because y'all are not going to rob us of our joy of giving to God. And I, too, believe that there's a collective experience in us giving. And we are not watching you do that. We are a part of that. And so we are grateful that we get a chance to serve with you, give with you, and trust God for some awesome things in this body. The second point is, uh, on this list that I have up, uh, I want you to understand just some of the ways, not, it's not exhaustive, but some of the ways that, the, um, that your tithe is used within the church. And I don't know if it's like, whoa, or what. I don't know why I got whoa up there. I don't know. Oh, what's going on? Yep. Help me out. <laughs> 
I saw it right before the before service started. I was like, Jake, we just going we, right, we ain't even going. Um, but the thing that is missing from here that I that I do regret uh, is is Mac development because I wanted you guys to know that your church body like gives to Mac development as well. But this is a snapshot. You will see a more exhaustive list when we have our budget meeting in February. But it's just letting you know, like when you give, like we're not just sitting on it, doing nothing. Uh, Buying Mercedes, I'm not against Mercedes. I like Mercedes, but I'm not buying a Mercedes. Elders not like like we we're, we're using this for the sake of God's glory. We're trying want to see our youth group grow in Christ. Want to see you experience hospitality when you walk through the door that your kids have a fun and safe place. That when we had those fellowship times, there's some good food available for you to grub on. Some 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 heat when you come in the building and the utilities are paid. Uh, I, I don't know why I got the musical team up there. They truthfully. Some of our people that are amazing, like, they are worth so much more than what we give them. So I'm not going to say we pay them. We give them a stipend. <laughs> and we are so grateful for the ways in which they serve this body. Uh, it pays for salaries, and it pays for missions. And at this time, I want to have Jake and Snake come up. Because uh, We are going to be sending out our first, like, MacAv family homegrown. Amen, amen. And I'm, I'm highlighting them primarily because we want to have them before this body a number of times before they leave. We don't want them to make one announcement, and then next time we actually bring them up is when we're praying for them to leave. Like, we're going to keep them before you. Um, but also because like, we want you to just continue to have missions as one of your thoughts of giving. This is not to stack the deck, though. This is not to say that missions is more important than youth group or to say that missions is more important than the nursery. We are not saying that or more important than, than you giving to your church first. We're just saying we want to keep the vision of ways that you can be about joyfully celebrating Christ and we want this family to know that we believe in them and support them. So I've got a, a few questions for y'all. 